You were tuned to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Food and fuel, prices for them may have your head spinning. Not much you can do to control the war in Ukraine, which triggered the pain at the pump and the shortage of grain and fertilizer. And what about the price of chicken and eggs? Don't blame COVID for that. Likely that's more related to the bird flu in poultry plants and among wild bird populations. Today we hear from economist Carl Bonham about the I-word, inflation. He is with the University of Hawaii Economic Research Office. Throughout the pandemic, he's been at the table with lawmakers helping to guide their decisions about how best to deal with this economic crisis. We released our second quarter report back in May, and when you look at sort of how the economy is doing in the first and the second quarter, that forecast turns out to have been pretty close. The economy is holding up reasonably well despite the headwind from higher inflation and the continued lack of Japanese visitors. And so when you you sort of pull everything together, you kind of have to worry a little bit more about the fall and into 2023 about more slowdown, a little bit less job growth, a little bit higher unemployment, fewer visitors as the U.S. economy slows down and we're yet to see the recovery of, as I said, Japanese visitors. And then there's the real challenge of people basically having to cut back on spending because of inflation. And, you know, none of that has changed. It just makes the overall outlook and sort of that risk that the Fed's going to go too far. And instead of just mortgage rates going up by 200 basis points, they go up by 300 basis points or your short-term borrowing costs go up and it leads to a a deeper slowdown than we've already seen. It's a little bit worrisome and the inflation picture is a big piece of that. We're hearing about how the uh, prices for airline tickets has gone up. I have a friend from New York who wants to come back to Hawaii and and he says, I'm not paying 1200 and I'm not paying 5000 for first class. <laughs> and yet you're seeing a bit of a price war, right, with some of the with Hawaiian and Southwest. And you're like, what's up with that? We haven't seen those in a long time. Yeah, that's true. The inter-island trips haven't seen that big price movement. And that happens because of supply conditions and that competition. And we're also beginning to see fall airfares, advertisements for airfares for this fall from, say, the West Coast that have come down substantially, as they always do. But it suggests that we're going to see a weakening in the fall and the shoulder season might be even weaker than normal because of Remember, it's not just the airfare. You know, the U.S. travelers are paying more for everything, right? And so their overall budget is being impacted. Higher airfare, they've got to, you know, higher gasoline prices when they're at home. They've got to pay more for everything when they're in Hawaii. And that leads to people cutting back on spending. We're, we're just beginning to see some of that in, in the retail sales numbers. There have been reports out of some of the banks that suggest that consumers are starting to spin down their surplus savings that they accumulated during the pandemic and that can kind of hold things together a little bit on consumer spending. But, you know, we did a report back in the spring, Dr. Stephen Bond-Smith and Daniela Bond-Smith and myself released a report titled cost of excess inflation in Hawaii. And basically what we did was we calculated by income bracket, by income quintile, what people would have to pay to maintain a steady level of spending. And you can think of that as a tax on your income. And if you look at the lowest income households, the bottom 20% of households in the state, the inflation that we had seen through March represented almost a 9% tax on their income. If they were going to maintain the same level of purchases, they'd have to come up with almost 9% more. You know, we're talking two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 more. And frankly, wages have not kept up. So all of this points towards slower spending that's sort of necessary to bring inflation down. Gosh, coming into work today, I heard something about the, you know, unemployment rate that it's up now since, you know, November. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, what's with the job situation? You know, that's uh, so much of what we are dealing with in the economic data is it's just kind of a mess. It's still being impacted by the pandemic, and the labor market is definitely one of those. The unemployment rate had ticked up already in Hawaii. It wasn't because there was fall off in, in hiring. It's just more people were coming back into the labor force, and so that pushes up the unemployment rate. And, you know, the job picture is still for robust job growth. There's In Hawaii, in the May data, there were almost two job openings for every unemployed person. So the labor market is still tight and we're still adding jobs. But as more people come into the labor force, 
you know, recognizing that those jobs are available or maybe they're no longer having to care for family members or they've uh, gotten over their case of COVID or, or they're taking their second job back. All of those are, are at play and the labor market is still disrupted by, by the pandemic. Across the board, it, it's a bit uneven. You know, you've got some sectors, the after-school care programs, right, that are out there. We need, you know, workers to serve those yeah. families uh, after school. So we still haven't seen the, the recovery. Uh, but I don't know, where did all those workers go? Well, I mean, some of them moved. We've seen, continued to see an outflow of population, and some of them retired. If you think about right before the pandemic, we, we already had an, an older population and a lot of people who were uh, eligible for retirement. And, you know, you're a school teacher who's 60 plus years old, and all of a sudden you've got to deal with this pandemic and remote learning and, you know, what a perfect time to retire. And so we've we certainly seen early retirements. We've seen a decrease in the overall population. And we also know that there are According to some of the data, the, the work that Ruben Juarez and Tim Halliday and Daniel, Daniela Bond-Smith did in the recent Uhiro Public Health Report, we know that a sizable fraction of people who got COVID are dealing with long COVID. Some of those people are being affected enough that they won't be in the labor force. And what about the price of goods? I flagged the uh, social media post by Kilani Bakery uh, earlier this week, and, and they were apologizing to their customers that they're having to raise the prices, you know, because everything's gone up, you know, from wheat because of the, you know, Ukraine situation to eggs because of the avian flu. So all these other factors besides COVID, yeah. just complicating the picture. And, and yet to have a little bakery like this, you know, to say, oh, we're only going to offer these products on weekends. It has some scratching their heads, but, it, you know, you've got these small businesses that are just feeling the pain. We often think about price increases as, as something that affects consumers. And I mean, you have to remember that those cost increases are, are happening for businesses and they're struggling to, you know, to, to cover those costs. And so what the bakery is doing is in part explaining to its its customers, you know, we're, we're not uh, raising our prices for the fun of it. We don't, you know, we don't want to do that, but we're facing these rising costs. The inflation through the first five months of the year for food is nine to 10% in, in Hawaii. You know, not as extreme as gasoline, which is up 40%. And, you know, one thing to, to I guess, maybe make us feel a little bit better is it's worse on the mainland. <laughs> you know, the inflation rate nationally was 9% in June. Hawaii won't, when we get the June data, it won't be 9%. Uh, it might be seven and a half. That our peak has been seven and a half, and uh, our prices haven't risen quite as much. And partly that's that's because we we don't have as much of a transportation cost. And the other thing that that has been really surprising is that the housing component of consumer prices in Hawaii they just haven't gone up like they have nationally. We're talking about three percent in Hawaii, six percent nationally. And so that that's a little worrisome because it suggests to me that that we're going to see these rent increases that we know are happening show up in the consumer price data uh, in in the rest of this year and into next year. And so our, our prices will continue to be elevated. And as I said, wages simply aren't keeping up. If you look at what's happening to real earnings, you know, they're falling by three or four percent through the first six months of, of 2021 because inflation is simply outstripping wage gains. I mean, we've seen almost a 200 basis point increase in mortgage rates over the last couple of years. And we were at year and a half to two years ago, we were at two and a half, and we're now at around five and a half. And just in the last six months or so, that's gone up a full 100 basis points. So if you look at what that does, say, to a $500,000 condo purchase, you're talking about an increase in the mortgage payment of $800, $900. So one of the things that happened at the, during the pandemic with those incredibly low interest rates is that first-time home buyers who were, you know, maybe had been thinking about getting into the housing market, you know, think about your 25 to 35-year-old or 30 to 40-year-old demographic who, you know, had the, the income. And when the mortgage rates went down, they, they rushed into the market. And now they're gone because mm -hmm. they're priced out. They're priced out both from the rise in, in prices and, and now also the double whammy of the of the higher interest rates. And so we have seen a, a pretty sharp slowdown in sales. Uh, we haven't seen inventory build up yet much here. Uh, we are seeing nationally, we're seeing sharp declines in sales. We're starting, you know, we're seeing cancellations of sales. We're seeing big drop off in applications for mortgages. 
and that's it. this is actually a, uh, an important channel. This is how the Federal Reserve pauses the economy to slow down. You drive up interest rates enough, and housing is a leading indicator. And so it's not the sale of existing homes. It's really the sale of new homes. In Hawaii, I don't expect that those sales are going to slow down much because there's still pent-up demand. And usually you'll have you know, D.R. Horton or Castle facing a backlog of qualified buyers who are just waiting in line. It'll be really interesting to see what happens to, to the visitor market, whether Japanese visitors come back in the kinds of numbers that we were forecasting for third and fourth quarter. Through the data for June, looking at passenger counts and data through May for arrivals, we're sort of on track, but mm-hmm. Japan's experiencing a wave of COVID right now that's bigger than anyone they've had. And so it's really a question of are they going to relax their inbound travel restrictions or not, which are still capped at 20,000 inbound passengers. So that's a, a regulatory constraint that may or may not be relaxed as they go through this next wave. So we just got to see how uh, uh, August uh, goes. Yeah. And, you know, continuing to watch, obviously, the U.S. economy and, and the inflation story. And then, of course, there's the wild card of, of what happens in, in Europe and the, the Russian war in Ukraine and how that continues to impact commodities and, and passes through into prices. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of uncertainty out there. That was your hero's Carl Bonham talking to us this morning about the economic outlook as we move into the second half of the year. Parks for People. The Trust for Public Land has been preparing to hit the refresh button on Aala Park. It's working with the city to push the criminal element out and to get families to return to the area and claim it back for the neighborhood. Thanks to a grant from American Savings Bank, things are taking shape. A student murals club has begun painting electrical boxes, many defaced with graffiti, and now decorated and beaming with color. And while the Trust for Public Land has been reaching out into the community for ideas, the city has been busy upgrading facilities, bathrooms, and play courts get some TLC. The newest addition is a new bark park for dogs and their owners. We took a walk around the park with Sultan White, who is spearheading the project for the Trust for Public Lands. We also hear from city park spokesman Nathan Sirota. Our first stop, the skate park. Over here at the skate park, we've partnered with APB Skate Shop, which is just on the corner of the park over here. And we have four professional skaters that are actually teaching many different kids just the basics of skateboarding and safety. A lot of the kids, we go and walk them over actually from the housing right across the street over here, Waena and Kukui Gardens. And we've partnered actually with the PE teacher at Kauluvela Elementary School who helped us with outreach and he knows all the kids. So we have a really packed class. They get to do something that's great and positive over the summer. And We've got great feedback from the parents. They're watching. You can see them all over there watching their kids. And everybody's having a great time. We're even able to donate a skateboard, safety equipment, and helmets for all the kids. And they get a full summer of classes that actually coincides with summer fun. So right after summer fun ends, they could go straight into the skateboarding classes. Two of their fifth grade teachers actually have been here every single day with the kids just because I think that just shows how engaged the teachers are and how much they really love these kids, especially, you know, at the Title I schools where it's a really high need school and they really need that extra support. So, you know, we're really happy to be working with them. We caught up with Maynard, an instructor with APL Skate Shop. It's been a good experience teaching younger kids how to skate. When I was younger, I always wished that there were like more teachers around, and so I'm just glad that I could be a you know good influence for these kids to show them how to you know how to skate. Yeah, I mean you know some of them are real cautious; they're a little timid maybe at first until they get their confidence up. Oh yeah, so definitely like for example, this uh, newer kid, he this is his first day, and you know he was very timid and. You know, getting his grips with just riding the board and so spent most of the day just, you know, making sure that he was confident and just riding around the park, making sure that he wasn't getting in anybody's way and acknowledging that, you know, he's going in their path and, you know, just general riding. I want to say you get good life skills other than, you know, the, the whole physicality of, you know, riding the board, but, you know, general etiquette as far as, you know, acknowledging people and making sure that they know that you are there and things like that. So I think that's pretty important. And Romy, father of two, agrees that these free skate classes were a godsend. 
And so, Romy, uh, you've got a couple of kids out here today? Yes, I have two. One is a skating and one still undecided to do it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, this is like a great opportunity for the kids to just kind of check it out, get a lesson, figure out, you know, what they're comfortable with. Definitely. I mean, like confidence for them, build their motivations and get along with other kids, you know, especially in a neighborhood like this. This one, everyone seems to get together. Thank God with this skateboard stuff and it brings all the kids back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the families are out here, the parents are watching, you know, uh, and they're having a great time. Great time. You know, it's a hot day, but hey, what is better than being outside than the inside, right? Especially with kids, especially with phone nowadays and getting this opportunity with that, this skate thing, it's awesome. Yeah. So, Nate, I don't know, as far as the summer fun and summer classes, I mean, how does that all work? We have a summer fun program right up the street at Baratania Community Park, and so they'll come down and use the facilities as part of that program as well. Uh, but they've got a, quite a few over there, too. They've got a good rec room, some courts, and some good fields. Um, but a lot of times with with parks like this that don't have, like, a lot of rec, indoor rec space, they won't necessarily be a summer fun site here, but there'll be programs that will come here to utilize it. Uh, but really, we consider this an urban park, and it's so important, really, for the community because there's not much green space in this area. Really dense populated, uh, not much nature, you know, it's the closest sandy beach is Alamoana Regional Park down that way, and the closest real beach access is probably Kakaka Waterfront Park. Um, so this is kind of one of the best chunks of nature um, that this community has uh, to utilize, to enjoy uh, the outdoors that we really um, are blessed to have here in Hawaii. Um, so it's fantastic to be able to offer them more things, more programming um, in a safe environment as well. This area, you had a lot of uh, homeless campers. It, this used to be the tent city for homeless way back when, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually probably a good indication of what's happening. I mean, technically, Ala Park is right on the edge of Chinatown, um, but it's really indicative of what's happening really with all, all over Chinatown and downtown that the mayor has prioritized with trying to clean it up, uh, trying to renovate really the whole area to make kind of a, a clean slate for this reactivation of, of the businesses, of the parks, of everything that this historical district has to offer. Um, so I think this park and really these partnerships that we've been blessed to have with Trust for Public lands and American Savings Bank are really a great way uh, to look at to frame the whole experience that we're having with downtown Honolulu and Chinatown. And later today at the dog park you said they what dog obedience classes? Yes we partnered with Wendy Ma um, of Serious Puppy Training. She's one of the leading animal behavior experts uh, in the state. We've have a ton of dog owners that will be coming out later today and um, participating in these free classes. Just like the skateboarding classes are free, these are also free for the community. And it's really just to activate this park that was, I believe, built in 2019 through the city and county and um, just promote good canine citizenship. That, that's how Wendy says it. So we want to see good dog owners with uh, that are well-behaved dogs and keep them on the leash. What else is planned for artwork here in the park? So as we move into phase two, which is actually being able to paint within the park, Kamehameha Schools Mural Club will be helping us to paint the surface of the basketball court, the bathrooms over there, some of the seating areas along the base of the trees here, and then this storage utility center right here. Just some of the places that have been approved so far. Later, hopefully, we want to get approval to paint outside of the skate park. And just as the, the phase one art activations, we want to make sure that we capture, you know, some of the native plants and stories that come from this area. And so if this is phase one in a pilot program, I don't know, do we have a list that we're drawing up for other parks? Nate, what can you tell us? Really, it's just we're looking for activation like this all over the place. And one of the things I'd like to mention, too, is it's a win-win when you get the cake involved in this kind of process, especially we've got the Kamehameha Murals Club. When you get kids involved at a young age, having a sense of ownership in their parks, when they're actually putting their hands on improving the park, they feel that sense of ownership and pride. So they'll take care of the park. So it's kind of a compound effect where, you know, more people will use it in a good way, more people will want to care for it in a positive way, and then everything will just kind of be improved as a better, safer atmosphere for the community in general. Recently we had a number of high school students uh, tackle graffiti at the Wolfat building, you know, some of the vandalism there, uh, and, and it looks great, you know, so it, it's that kind of thing. You're trying to just kind of spread that spirit, that aloha around. 
Yeah, I think there's been a really good movement nationally and here in Hawaii too, and really credit worldwide murals. It used to be powwow, right? They had the festival that they've been doing for over a decade now in Kaka'ako. And I think that expanded people's mentality of, you know, art isn't just defined in a frame in a, in a museum. You can have art in public places. They can tell the stories of these places. And so we've really embraced that in Parks and Rec where we are trying to get a lot of the, more of these murals, these pieces of public artwork into our parks to activate them, to get people that sense of ownership, and to also tell the park stories as well. Because um, these, I mean, all a park, you can't, there's very few parks that are more historic than this location. So to be able to tell them not just the modern history, but the Native Hawaiian history as well through art form is really a blessing. And so is there a phase three? <laughs> right. So phase three, uh, we're really excited about. We just penned a contract with the University of Hawaii's Community Design Center and they'll be helping us um, have a number of community feedback days as we, um, as they help develop proof of concepts for maybe um, some other amenities that we could help. And um, the actual proof of concepts will be co-owned by the city and TPL. Um, and hopefully then we could work with some landscape architects and some contractors to make some more improvements and show that we are really in it for the long haul and want to continue committing to all the park. Um, after, after that, um, we hope that this pilot can serve as a template as we go to other parks across the city and maybe even the state. So the whole idea is to activate events to draw families back down there. Think weed and seed. Next weekend on July 30th, look for Chinatown 808 and a group that traditionally puts on the Dragon Boat Festival to host an event celebrating culture with foot races and festivities. August will highlight our diverse immigrant community thanks to Pacific Gateway and We Are Oceania. And they hope the events will keep coming. Support for HPR comes from Beach Tree Restaurant, located oceanfront at Four Seasons Resort Hualalai, serving lunch and dinner. Chef Giuliano features fresh seafood and daily handcrafted pastas and pizzas with nightly live acoustic entertainment. Next time on The World, a new action-adventure film from Jackie Chan. It's supposed to be set in Yemen, which is still at war. Instead, the crew is filming in a bombed-out city in Syria. One Syrian filmmaker says her country is not a film set. They are like a war crimes location where the UN has the right to go and investigate war crimes. Movie-making in Syria sparks outrage on The World. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, offering a variety of classes and creative experiences at its art school, reopening this fall. Registration now open. More at honolulumuseum.org. From political outcast to perennial frontrunner, our reality check today takes a look at the political career of Ed Case. Reporter Nick Ruby joins us this morning. How are you, Nick? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Catherine. Yeah, so Representative Case, what did you find out? Well, uh, as we know, uh, Congressman Case has been around in Hawaii politics for a while as a state legislator, as a congressman representing Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District, which uh, uh, includes the neighbor islands in Oahu, and now as the uh, representative for Hawaii's 1st Congressional District. Uh, he won uh, this seat back in 2018 in, in a crowded primary, um, and ever since then, uh, he's pretty much been cruising to re-election, and he appears to be well on that same path uh, this time around. Yeah, I mean, I know there were uh, folks out there that thought that he was really a Republican um, running under a Democratic banner, and he did. He got treated poorly by the, the Democrats at one point in his career. That's right. So uh, Ed Case has uh, long considered himself a moderate Democrat. Uh, the way he describes it, he's a fiscal conservative but a social liberal. So what does that mean? That means he, you know, doesn't uh, believe in spending too much money. Uh, wants to limit tax increases, obviously. Um, but he does support things uh, like gay marriage. He does believe that uh, money should be spent on protecting our environment, uh, uh, just a, a, as a couple of examples. But when he was in Congress the last time around, 
when he was representing Hawaii's second congressional district, he decided to mount a primary campaign against Dana Kaka in 2006, who, of course, was beloved by many, uh, many people in political circles and, you know, voters as well. That, of course, upset the Democratic Party establishment, namely Dana Noy, who, as uh, most of your listeners will remember, was sort of seen as a kingmaker in Hawaii politics. Now, Anoy held that grudge for many years, uh, which meant that Case really struggled to ever win another election until Anoy died in 2012. And six years later, he had this opportunity to win his seat for CD1. Yeah, and, and right now he's a, the front runner. That's right. So he's a front runner in the, this upcoming primary. Uh, his main candidate is Sergio Alcubilla, uh, who is a uh, public interest lawyer, used to work for the Legal Aid Society. But, you know, our polls have shown that Case is far, far ahead at this point, almost by 50 percentage points. And Alcubilla is really struggling to gain traction. I mean, he does have some support. He's been endorsed by the teachers union. He also has a super PAC that's uh, running ads on his behalf. But at this point, 50 percentage points is a lot of ground to make up um, in in any election, um, especially when there aren't that many undecided. I think there's only about, according to our poll, there were only about 27 uh, percent of voters said that they were still undecided about who they were going to vote for. Right. And he took exception to his uh, case's position on the Build Back Better bill initially. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Alcubilla, that's his main platform is Ed Case, when he decided to sort of pump the brakes on Build Back Better in order to pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill first, he says that that is the reason that that, uh, Ed Case should no longer be in Congress, because that Build Back Better uh, legislation did include a lot of provisions that would have helped Hawaii, that would have addressed climate change, um, childhood tax credits, affordable housing, Etc. There was a lot in it. It was a $3.5 trillion spending plan. And uh, Alcabilia and others, uh, particularly those on the progressive side of the party, blame Ed Case for essentially ending that. Right. So the question is, uh, will that be enough uh, to get him over the top? Um, but at this point, the polls are saying that Case is still ahead. But thank you so much, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. That was reporter Nick Ruby with today's Reality Chat. You can read the full story at civilbeat.org. This next segment is for the birds. Our Hawaii feathered friends are getting their national debut in podcast form. From the studios of BirdNote, the podcasts threaten shares the songs and stories of some of the world's most delightful and bizarre birds, as well as the efforts to protect these unique species and their habitats. Their first two seasons took listeners all over the world. But season three is a little closer to home. Well, okay, a lot closer. All five episodes, the first two of which are out now, focus on the native birds of Hawaii. Ari Daniel hosts Threaten and traveled to Hawaii to see and hear our birds firsthand. The conversation Savannah Harriman Pote also contributed to the season, and she spoke with Daniel about what lessons Hawaii's birds have to offer. I think birds are such magical creatures. It was a week ago, you know, my daughter picked up a feather. She's six. She picked up a feather on we were in a, on a hike in the woods, and she loves collecting feathers. And my son was disappointed because he didn't, he's three and a half, he didn't find it first. Then there was another feather that he found. So, you know, you can, you, you can touch the feather, you know, you can get a little close, but there's something that the birds, the birds keep their distance, trying to imagine what their world is like. I think that's part of what makes them so, you know, so enchanting. They certainly do make the perfect radio stars. Yeah. Just their ability to put together these incredible songs to defend territory, to attract mates, but it just transforms the forest into this, you know, into the most incredible kind of coral environment. What about the story of birds in Hawaii was unique to you? One of the things, you know, about Hawaii is that it's it's got a lot to teach us about the experience of 
native birds and the birds on an, in an island environment where you often get species that you that are endemic that you find there and nowhere else you know they have very particular kinds of stories to tell about that location but certainly their experience is shared by birds in other island environments so so i think and and so we felt that hawaii was was just a great place to, to find stories of birds that have had these particular challenges around, you know, being the only members of a species in one small place and how different influences, both positive and negative, have impacted those species. Do you have a favorite bird from Hawaii that you learned about in this season? You know, so we, we worked with a couple of reporters, including you, Savannah, and Jesse Eden, and Jesse reported a story about the alala, the Hawaiian crow, which I, I was re- was very interesting to hear because you know I think often you know if you think like Hawaiian birds, you think of these you know kind of jewels of the of the forest, different colors, and but I appreciated Jesse's story about the alala because it's about a crow, but but that bird is no less deserving of our attention and care, and it you know just a really really remarkable story around the the bird the difficulties it went through and then the then the massive efforts and this is a this is a kind of a strand that traces through many of the episodes the tremendous effort that people go to to try to preserve a species after we've really knocked the wind out of it through introducing invasive species destroying habitat climate change disease introduction, all, all manner of things, hunting, you know, so we, we fray the carpet. Some of us fray the carpet and then others look at the carpet and try to put it back together. It's not going to be like it was, but can you get it back enough so that it can su- support the species? And it's just remarkable to see the efforts that these folks go to, including with the Alala. Mm. You reported in depth on avian malaria and how it's impacting bird species in Hawaii, which is one of the starkest examples of just how close some of Hawaii's bird species are to extinction. When you set out to tell that story, was the objective to tell it in the starkest terms possible to make people go, yes, this is really bad and something needs to happen now, or to try to contextualize it a little bit more? The, the great challenge, I think, when telling environment stories is to do it in a way that doesn't make people shut down immediately. I, I, I think, you know, like, what, what's, the, what's the point of telling this story? It's probably partly my personality around it, but it's like, I don't want to leave people feeling despair or a sense of unrecoverable loss, even though that's there. And so when I was researching the story and then reporting on it, there were these elements of the science that suggested that it's not a, a foregone conclusion, that, that it, it's, not, it's not necessarily the case that these, the couple of species I was focusing on, the Akikiki and the Akikei, were definitely headed for extinction, that there could be a possibility through some new work that's, that's imminent that could help bring these bird species back. But I also found that there were a couple of really beautiful kind of human relationships that emerged as a result of work, of, of, of Herculean work to try to conserve this species, including a, a really meaningful relationship between one of the scientists and someone who's native to the Hawaiian Islands who, who kind of leaned on each other to work through the grief of loss. Because even, you know, hopefully these birds make a recovery, but there have been a lot of birds within these species that have died. And the scientists have witnessed that death. And how do they process it? And this person from the community has helped them work through it. And that that I found to be really beautiful. So it's not just a story of the decline of a species. Through that story, we find these other relationships between people that I think illuminate parts of ourselves and perhaps how we might aspire to be. How is art helpful in introducing people to concepts about the environment? You know, for instance, you know, your story around the OO 
in some ways, I feel like your story is a kind of memorial, you know, a kind of, it's a, it's a eulogy almost to the bird. And, and it's a way of, of honoring it, of, of recognizing and verbalizing the loss. And in so doing, not, not allowing it to recede. I think we even brought it up in your piece, but you know, this notion of like, once something's gone, people who've never known about it don't know that it's missing. You know, they don't, they don't know, oh, the forest used to be a lot louder, or there used to be this particular color or what, they don't know about it. So the, so after a, after kind of a generation, you forget about it. And I think what's so lovely about what you did with your story about, about this bird species that was lost was, um, was to bring it, was to bring it back, was to talk about it, was to invoke its name and in doing so, give, give it a little bit of life again. So I think that that's certainly a powerful role that art can play in discussing wildlife, conservation, and the name of our series is Threatened. So there's stories of birds that, that are facing difficulty usually. And, and, and in general, you know, storytelling through radio, I mean, it's a way of bringing people to a place and introducing them to folks that they might not encounter otherwise and, and connecting them with other parts of the world. And on that note, where is the team of Threatened thinking of traveling next? Yeah, so our next season, well, so this is our third season based in Hawaii. Our fourth season moves to Puerto Rico, and then we're going somewhere else next year in season five. So there's a a lot in store. And if you haven't heard Threatened, we've already got a couple of seasons um, that you can kind of tee up and listen to wherever you get your podcasts. And you will recognize Ari Daniel as the host when you listen to those episodes. Ari, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Savannah. Thanks for having me. And that was Ari Daniel, host of the podcast Threatened from Bird Note, speaking with the conversation Savannah Harriman Pote. Season three of Threatened is out now, and you can listen to new episodes each Tuesday. We'll have more information on our website at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for HPR comes from Hawaii Occupational Safety and Health, observing the national campaign for heat illness prevention, noting that outdoor and indoor heat exposure can be dangerous. More by searching osha.gov heat. For their next primetime public hearing, the January 6th committee will take a look at President Trump's actions on the day of the insurrection. Donald Trump never picked up the phone that day to order his administration to help. This is not ambiguous. Join us for live coverage and analysis later today from NPR News. Beginning this afternoon at 2, following the world. Support for HPR comes from Broadway in Hawaii, presenting Hamilton, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, coming to Blaisdell Concert Hall beginning December 7th. Tickets available now at Ticketmaster.com. Music artist Irie Love is releasing her first single tomorrow after taking a five-year hiatus. The Kalaheo High School alum released her first album in 2008, but music wasn't her first choice. She originally had dreams of playing professional basketball, but an injury ended her career. After releasing that first album, she saw her music career take off. Her 2012 album, This Is Irie Love, featured two singles that surged up the Hawaiian reggae charts. Her star was on the rise. But then she announced she was taking a break. So why would someone with a burgeoning music career step away from the spotlight? Well, Love paid a visit to our studios to talk to The Conversation's Russell Subiono about her return. Twenty seventeen, you said you were stepping away from performing music. Can you talk about what led you to that decision? I got divorced. And as many people who have been divorced can resonate, it can shatter your world. And luckily there weren't any children involved, but yeah, I just needed to get off island and like kind of reset. And I think for me, because I started my career basically in 1999 when I won Brown Bags to Stardom at Kalaheo, 
And it kind of just snowballed so quickly. And before that, I had wanted to be a professional athlete. Mm So because of that pivot that happened and then it just continued, and of course I always loved music. I mean, we grew up singing Kanekapila and karaoke, and Mm -hmm. so I didn't think of it as a career, but long story short, I was doing music and I never really got a chance to like sit back and say, is this really who I am? Is this really what I wanna do? And so in 2017, when I had that personal tragedy, it just, to me was an opportunity to take that time and to like really step away from everything that was familiar, from home, from all my people, Mm -hmm. and just really find myself. And I dove back into what I had started, which was athletics. Mm -hmm. So I became a spin instructor and a yoga teacher and just kind of went into that side of my passion which was really beautiful to also just express different parts of my heart. Because I think a lot of times we can get caught up in like picking one thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's so much pressure in society and in school and in everything to like pick one thing so you can get really good at it and be successful, right? But I believe that everyone has so many different gifts and sometimes they come out at different stages of your life. And so it was a really beautiful process to be able to kind of go back after 20 years of singing and touring all over the world and just like revisit my heart. And during that time, I was still coming home periodically and performing. My family, half my family is still here, especially my grandparents. They're the most important for me to visit. And of course my friends and just, you know, the healing mana of the Aina itself. But, you know, just being able to be in different environments with different people can inspire us in different ways. And especially as a creator, being in different environments with different people and being inspired is a crucial part of being able to create. Mm -hmm. And I just chose to take that time to really just study myself, study spirituality and like, why are we here? Why am I creating music? Like, why was I doing that? And just really making sure that my intention was aligned. And so now, five years later, I'm ready to create again. I am creating again. And it's been such a beautiful journey. I think now I can say that. It definitely wasn't awesome when I was going through heartbreak and walking away from a career that was, you know, really getting to what you would call in the material world a successful position. It just kind of also helped me to reflect on like what really matters. Like material success is wonderful. I think it's a great tool that allows us to do things and to do more. But ultimately, everyone is seeking fulfillment from within. Mm -hmm. And if your heart isn't genuinely attached to what you're doing, there's always going to be conflict. And so now I feel just so aligned and uh, so much more purposeful and more inspired by my heart. In addition to the divorce that you went through, Mm -hmm. your family is the Love's Bakery family too, right? Right. How did that impact you? I mean, the longest running bakery in the state, right? I know. I always stay with my grandparents when I I come home. So I was chatting with my grandma. You know, they had the auction where Mm -hmm. they were selling all the stuff. She, of course, went and bought as many things as she possibly could, right? It's so beautiful how she's documents for our family. She has these books that she's created of like our whole lineage as Mm -hmm. far as she can find all the research. And so she can show the actual who was who and what, you know, how the family name yeah. and and so it's so funny I have a, a quick little story about Love's yeah. Bakery I was at some point in my career trying to get like different sponsors for different things mm-hmm. and my friend Shannon Scott he was like you know I'm going to be meeting with these guys let's see if we can get you a sponsor and they didn't believe that I was really I love because of the Love's Bakery family, uh-huh. right? I mean, that's happened a lot in my life. Everyone's yeah. like, what's your real name? Right. I'm like, that's <laughs> the only name I got. <laughs> so long story short, my grandma pulls out this stack of evidence of like how I'm related to the original person who started uh-huh. Love's Bakery. And we brought it to them. And they were like, wow, yeah, this is this is accurate. This is true. She really is. It didn't end up working out for the sponsorship, uh-huh. but it was a really cool way to dive into the history and just to like also just prove within the industry here in Hawaii that like I'm not just making stories. Right, like right. it's legit. <laughs> yeah. Your love for Hawaii and your pride in your Hawaiian heritage comes across clearly mm. in your music. When I was reading about your new album, 
it sounds like you're also bringing more of your other ethnic heritages to the forefront of your music. Can you talk about how your cultural roots influence your music? It's funny. I've been kind of diving into understanding that as well because it's kind of an all-encompassing thing for someone like me who is multiracial, multicultural. I've had the beautiful privilege of being able to travel since I was toddler because my grandma was a travel agent Mm. and she would take me with her on these trips so I was exposed to different cultures other than Hawaii and I think for me the expression of all the colors of the rainbow that make up who I am is super important and I believe that I am given this specific responsibility Kuliana to uphold this energy of unity which is what I represent by just being who I am And we have such a beautiful foundation with Hawaiian culture that is aloha, which is to me just love and, and unity and, and understanding. So in my music, I really am working on collaborating with people from all different cultures, ethnicities, what have you, to just really, I call it like being the bridge. Mm-hmm. I've touched on that a little bit in my other music. You know, I lived in Jamaica for a little while and doing reggae. Of course, I've done a lot of collaborations with Jamaican people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, to me, how you present yourself is usually the foundation of that is your culture, regardless of your ethnicity or what have you. Like what, what raised you? And Hawaii raised me, for sure. And so in my music, I'm like the first single that's coming out this Aloha Friday is a collaboration between a Jamaican artist and the producers are actually French reggae producers. So already the first single is just like a very international expression. I, I was made for you. You were made for me. I feel like I had met you in another just really excited to be able in these times when we have so many systems that are separating us even further to use music which is a tool already that unifies people to really have that intention of it being a bridge i think the different influences bring in different audiences too right absolutely and it can be like a unifying factor exactly and it sounds like it's a conscious effort on your part for sure bring people together yeah yeah exactly One of the songs that leaps out to me on your albums is your song, Stand My Ground. You sing, no, you're not going to push me around. Can you talk more about writing that song and this idea that music is word, power, and sound Mm. as a way to draw strength? Because of my whole background uh, now, even more so in wellness and like what that means from an emotional, a mental, a physical, all encompassing standpoint, the expression of music and frequency and sound is actually the first modality of healing. Mm -hmm. Sound frequency has been used in ancient practices in China forever and, you know, in many different cultures, sound is medicine. Mm Also, frequencies can shift and activate uh, different parts of your DNA. I mean, for me, just turning on a certain song, I feel like I can literally be transported to a different place, right? Like even just in my car. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that in itself, just from my own experience, I know how powerful music can be. But then from a frequency standpoint, there are certain hurts that are more aligned and in harmony with the human body and with certain emotions. And so I'm even diving into like the science of frequency when it comes to word power sound. And then words, I mean, that's why we call it spelling Mm -hmm. is because it's actually casting spells by the words that you choose. Like these really popularized experiments that have been done like with water or plants where they put certain words on them and it changes the way that the molecular structure holds itself. And so, you know, everything is energy. Everything is alive. And the words that we choose, the sounds that we share, that we emit or that we create have so much power over 
our existence really and so i don't take that lightly i think that it's extremely important when you have a powerful tool Mm -hmm. to use it in service to humanity yeah and i can tell you're very purposeful about your lyrics when you write them too right You're, you're you obviously know that the things that you sing about the things that you say have enormous power to impact people Are you excited about Friday's show? I am, yes. It's gonna be very different than anything I've ever done. We have two drummers that are playing the Dun Dun and the Djembe, Mm -hmm. and so it's gonna be like a really beautiful version of songs that people are familiar with, my new stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I have four backup singers this time. I really have made it part of my new mission to kind of pass the baton in the way that I had mentors growing up, like Fiji and so many others, to just give space on my stage for folks who also have these beautiful gifts and haven't been doing it for as long as I have. So maybe, you know, I can help them to get on different stages and for people to see that we have so much incredible talent coming out of Hawaii. And I'm just super excited to be able to share the stage with other talented folks. Thank you so much for your time, Irie. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. Yeah. yeah, thank you. That was musical artist Irie Love talking with HPR's Russell Subiano. Her new single, In Another Life, will be released tomorrow. It's the first in a series of new singles that will be released every six weeks. She'll also be performing at the Blue Note, Hawaii, tomorrow night. We'll have links to more information on the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. That was all I need, but the Lord above, she had different plans for me. I, I was made for you, you were made for me. I feel like I had met you in another Well, that is it for us today. Up tomorrow, we plan a call-in show with the new school board chair, Bruce Voss, and school superintendent, Keith Hayashi. Got uh, questions or concerns about the new school year? Call or talk back line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And you can connect with Facebook, too. Or call in, join us live. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.